Welcome to episode 20 of the Humanist Agenda podcast. Today we have a recording from a lecture on conspiracy theories. Brian Keith, a humanist since 1989 and a past president of the Humanist Association of Ottawa, will take an analytical look at how conspiracy theories are perpetuated and what rationalists can do to combat them. We hope you enjoyed this recording. Please visit humanistagenda.com for show notes and links to some of the topics that were discussed during the recording. Now on to the lecture. Good, thank you. Well, um, I've got a, a few slides, so we'll get those, uh, those set up. As uh, Carl said, thanks very much, Carl, for those uh, kind words. So we're going to talk, talk and discuss and uh, debate conspiracy theories. Um, it's a topic that I found interesting, but I'm not an expert. I just did a little bit of reading. There are lots and lots of books and plenty of uh, resource material uh, about conspiracy theories. Uh, and as Carl said, too, I think it is uh, a topic of interest to especially those of a, a rational mindset, because we like to uh, treat uh, our ideas rationally and look, is there, is there uh, evidence for an idea or is it just something that could be a possibility uh, and then people kind of come up with maybe quasi-evidence to try and support that. The word conspiracy comes from the Latin word conspire. And that means, if you like con, inspire. Spire is like to uh, breathe. So conspire then means breathe together. So in other words, it's folks like you and me or you and me that we breathe the same air. So we kind of think along the same line. So that's what a conspiracy is. And uh, is. Uh, Sherry has often done too. We'll uh, record this talk and it will be on the HALA uh, website at a future time so you can listen to it again or if it's really good, recommend it to your friends. Carl listed out one or two conspiracy theories and that's going to be my first topic. Probably lots of them come to mind. The assassination of JFK and we'll talk about why did, what, was, what was it about that that lent itself to conspiracy theories. In other words, you know, things happened but then uh, the idea was, well, there must be something else going on. There had to be somebody behind it. So we'll talk a little bit about uh, kind of that mindset. Things happen, you look for an explanation, and this goes all the way back to the caveman's time. I mean, uh, yeah, you know, somebody is out there hunting and he gets struck by lightning. Well, that just couldn't have happened. What, you know, what caused it? It must have been because he offended the rest of the people or he, you know, some explanation that, uh, that in a kind of... Um, <laughs> an easy way, makes some sense. Conspiracies can come from all kinds of uh, sources, such as uh, someone gets assassinated. So what I'll present uh, initially, I'm sure you you've, uh, have your favorites. In Wikipedia on this page, list of conspiracy theories, there are lots and lots of them listed. Now, it's broken down conveniently by categories such as extraterrestrials, uh, the government, uh, espionage, medicine, there's quite a few, science, technology, loads and loads of them. So I'm not uh, going to advocate in favor of any of these, but really my purpose for showing, this is only half of the list, is to show that there's a huge wide range of uh, subject areas that lend themselves to uh, conspiracies. For example, Malala uh, enters in somewhere the deep state, Barack Obama has been the subject of lots of them, lot, plenty to do with, uh, with science. 9-11. 9-11 is there, a very popular one, definitely. Uh, continuing on, deaths and disappearances of John F. Kennedy, for example. Princess Diana, one that we can certainly relate to. 
uh, business and industry gets their share, aviation, plenty to do with airplanes. And it, maybe it's something to do with the fact that you're, you know, you're trusting that the plane is going to get there. If something happens, is it just an accident or is there something else going on? Uh, lots and lots of them uh, in that area. Sports again, and uh, lots to do with society. We'll talk a bit more about that in a minute. Where the uh, moon landing's faked or not, and is the Earth flat, or are there hidden planets out there? So lots and lots. So again, I don't want to come and try to uh, convince you, but I think looking at the whole topic, it's very wide-ranging. There's uh, lots of scope. Now, how could conspiracy theories originate? Uh, I listed out some, um, some ideas here. Rumors, uh, plots of assassination, you might have corruption, propaganda on the part of governments or companies, for example. Disinformation can happen too. Denials and cover-ups uh, are all, you know, so we often think of it all around us. And um, lies and deceptions. There's been books written about that, like deceptions that have occurred in the past. Paranoia, anxiety, it could be spies at, at play, mass hysteria, looking for patterns. As the, um, the quote at the bottom by David Hume, 1889, talks about seeing patterns, which I think is a very human tendency to uh, see patterns where maybe there's nothing there. I'll give you maybe one little example about uh, deceptions. Uh, Here in the library, there's a book and also a a DVD movie, and it's called Mirage Man. It talks about a time in the 1970s and maybe before the American Air Force, they were testing all kinds of airplanes, which were top secret. They had this base in Nevada and discovered that curious folks were at the fence, uh, and there also could have been Russian spies who were hanging around the fence, taking photographs of these, and then they would publicize them or uh, it might be in um, a newspaper. The government, and this is um, verified by people who actually worked on this program, uh, the government wanted to divert attention away, and so they said, those must be UFOs. And then, uh, you know, would call in some, uh, some clever, keen people to say, we, we're going to let you in on a secret. Those are actually, I think they're UFOs. They could very well be UFOs. And this idea was planted, and then, of course, it circulated around. Um, at the same time, agencies like the CIA had agents that would infiltrate different groups and report back to the government. So whether that, I think that tended to then lead to the idea, yes, that maybe there must be UFOs because you know, we've seen it and, they, and you can't argue against it. Then it really um, got a big boost in the 90s with the X-Files show. Anyone here ever watched the X-Files? Okay, a few of you. Um, its show started in, uh, the show program started in 1993. It ran for 10 years, uh, making it the longest-running science fiction series in American television. It was initially a cult show. It really grew in popularity, and then the uh, kind of what they dealt with every week was conspiracies or um, the fact that there was some. Uh, fellows running things that you weren't supposed to know about and they were really secret and you couldn't interfere with them or bad things would happen, like you'd get hit on the head or something like that. This um, poster, I want to believe, that was in uh, Fox Mulder's office. And I was thinking about that in, in terms of us, humanists. It's not just that you, know, you, you believe, it's the fact that you want to believe. Right? Okay, so we're not just saying, you know, there's this belief which you can take it or leave it, but it's a desire that goes beyond just the belief that says, 
I want to believe, right? So there's this kind of extra motivation to you know, look for proof and eliminate everything else that, uh, that goes against that. How widespread are beliefs? A few figures here from uh, different studies that have been done. From about five years ago, half of Americans endorsed at least one conspiracy theory. That number has gone up and up. A uh, similar figure in Britain. In 2017, there was a poll by the Washington Post that said half of Americans believe that there is a conspiratorial deep state in the U.S., uh, a secret cabal of influential people are controlling things that go on. And there have been lots of studies, uh, I think, by university people to, uh, to look into that question. So just a few ideas about the mindset. So there's uh, some ideas, kind of um, what goes on, maybe kind of as background to the uh, form formation, formulation of uh, belief in a conspiracy. The when fellow believers have privileged access to a special knowledge, it's like, you know, we're the special people, so we know what's really going on, what ha really happened at 9-11. You know, they don't want us to find out about it. Uh, and there's the final one that says the truth is out there. You just need to uh, think creatively, and you might be able to find it. Now, one of the uh, fellows who looked into it is Michael Barkan, a, a political science professor. He said the following, that conspiracy theories rely on the following three principles. The um, universe is governed by design. Nothing happens by accident. So this whole point, you know, is, do things happen by random, or is there something, you know, who's pulling the levers, that things happen um, by, on purpose? Secondly, nothing is as it seems. So that's another part of the mindset. And then thirdly, everything is connected. Uh, so if you take those three together, you've got kind of a, uh, a mindset, which I think, you know, can we uh, address that rationally and say, okay, is this really rational to, uh, to believe those things? There's another professor, Stephen Landowski, at the University of Bristol, who wrote that it's psychologically comforting for people to believe, talking about random events, that there's something going on. So, for example, Princess Diana was killed in a car accident. And that just couldn't have happened. That's too horrible to contemplate. So there must have been something going on behind it. If you believe that way, that somebody is pulling the levers, it gives you, in a way, a sense of certainty and control, right? So there's some certainty, there's some control. Uh, the world is unfolding as it should. So the conspiracy theory provides comfort because it identifies a scapegoat and, in the perverse kind of way, makes the world seem like it's operating uh, Straightforward, straightforward, the way that it's supposed to. Jesse Walker, who is another writer, uh, wrote, he's a journalist actually from America. His book was uh, 300 pages long, talking about conspiracy theories. And it's called The United States of Paranoia. He's got five different categories of uh, conspiracy theories. And they have to do with enemies. So the first one is the enemy outside. He gives the example of uh, the first settlers in America. The natives who were there uh, were kind of an outside force that uh, rumors spread around that the natives uh, were jealous or something and they were going to kidnap the white women and uh, make slaves out of them or steal them and, and they would get married. Uh, so it was uh, outside of the group. The enemy within could be witches. You know, one of you may be a witch. Um, so there's uh, so part of the group that looks the same, or zombies, for example. Maybe there are uh, enemies there. Enemies above, 
powerful people who manipulate events for their uh, own purposes. We see this in uh, America. For example, the Democratic people, or sorry, the um, Republicans say that their enemies are puppets of George Soros. Uh, Democrats say that their um, Republican enemies are in the pockets of the Koch brothers. Uh, so it's kind of like pointing to, uh, to influential, powerful people who are uh, manipulating people. The enemy below, uh, on the other hand, is uh, the lower classes who might uh, take over. For There could be uh, revolts by slaves or African-American folks who um, feel hard done by. Uh, so these enemies below, they're actually, you know, to go with what the vernacular says, they're not quite human. Um, they have a, an appetite to loot and burn and uh, destroy society. The, finally, the fifth one uh, is a bit different because the benevolent folks are more like angelic forces, maybe an angel you know, sitting here that you can't see, that my talk will go well, improving the world and helping uh, people. So this is quite a good book. Again, this is from the library here, uh, Conspiracy Rising, Conspiracy Thinking and American Public Life. It's written by Martha Lee, and she's a professor in Windsor. And uh, I found this one was quite good because it kind of t took the arguments up um, to a, a higher level. She talks, uh, part, of, part of the first, first analysis that she gives is, is what the slide is about, a single event or a plot. Um, in the old days, a conspiracy would focus on a single event. And, for example, you have Roswell, you know, the UFO crashed and the government uh, took the aliens inside and they're, they're hiding them. Uh, then there was uh, the death of Elvis or the assassination of John Kennedy, the assassination of uh, you know, further Kennedys and uh, Martin Luther King, various uh, things like that. So one event which led to conspiracies. Now the next category, a super conspiracy, is more dominant now. And this is the interconnected web of deceptions in which one belief then leads to a second and a third and another one and another one and another one. So there's a whole kind of network of, uh, well, you, you know, I don't know, let's say, for example, corporations. I mean, well, you, you start with, the you know, corporations are no good, so they're out to do something and, you know, therefore it's all, our food is poisoned and uh, everything is rigged and uh, this kind of thing. So that's a super conspiracy. And... Maybe behind it, there's a secret cabal that's running the whole world. There's a whole bunch of examples uh, back through history. So we'll talk about that just for a little bit. Not to, again, not to promote this, but just to kind of uh, uh, discuss some of the uh, ideas underway. The Illuminati, as you probably know, was um, an actual group uh, founded in 1776 in Bavaria. They went wanted to go against the Jesuits, so this is society was a, uh, a group of intellectual, intellectual uh, fellows who could group together and oppose the religious uh, influence over daily life. So the group included the progressive people. That kind of died away, but before that happened, the group was outlawed by the conservative or Christian critics. The Freemasons was, uh, a, a, I suppose, like a union of uh, stonecutters in England around the year uh, 1700, and it was set up as a club to assist the uh, stone cutters, stone workers who uh, 
would move from town to town, work on a short contract to build a cathedral or a nice building. Um, and so there was kind of you know, mutual support given. But they had a secret handshake because they had to distinguish, are you a real stonecutter or are you just somebody that says you can do it? So because it was secret, they uh, you know, kind of ran into opposition and uh, being suspect. The Masons, of course, are, are still continuing on uh, with slightly different structure and methods. One thing that Professor Lee points out is when you think about all these groups like Freemasons or the Illuminati or the Knights Templar, you don't hear an awful lot about them and you don't hear a lot about the things that they've done, which is maybe that fits into to things. It's so powerful, it can, uh, can engage in intrigues, uh, shaping all kinds of human existence, but we don't really see it. So it's a blank canvas for people like you and me to say, well, we don't understand that. It must be some group like that uh, that's uh, a secret cabal that uh, is in place. So the, uh, you can project your own suspicions and fears onto um, to a group like that. So again, here's a bit more about the New World Order. There's a wiki, Wikipedia page uh, about the New World Order, and I recommend you read that. It's, it's quite lengthy, but it's really fascinating, the development of this whole thing. The photo here, I think some, one that somebody made up. I don't think that's really the, uh, the New World Order. It's more like, it looks like it was made on a, uh, a movie set or something like that. Books with the title uh, New World Order. The first one was written in 1940 by H.G. Wells, and if you re read that book, he wants a new world order which would unite the nations of the world for peaceful purposes to end war and uh, have kind of universal human rights legislation, which all sounds quite good, but then has kind of been perverted since then by more books by other folks, including Pat Robertson, who kind of has a different idea. The new world order is uh, something that the fundamentalist Christians are hoping for because that means the end time emergence of the Antichrist has to do with the New World Order. And if that happens, that means that Jesus is going to come. I don't know. Don't quote me on it. Um, so they're quite in favor of it. Uh, and secondly, the right-wing folks who we sometimes hear from uh, see the New World Order as a form of communism because then the countries are going to be run by the United Nations. So there won't be individual countries, uh, yeah, countries with their own legislature. The UN will run everything. And of course, the first thing it will do is want to take people's guns away. Uh, so that would, you know, they want to make sure that doesn't happen. Some of the, uh, some of these ideas can, um, can have uh, rather devastating effects. I'll talk a bit about the impact in a minute that it kind of gives license to uh, a lone wolf terrorist who wants to go against this. They're fighting against, uh, you know, kind of a phantom. Uh, and one of them was Timothy McVeigh, who blew up the uh, government building in Oklahoma City in 1995 and killed 168 people because he wanted to draw attention to his belief that the American government was taken over by the New World Order. So that was his uh, rather violent statement. More recently, George Bush Sr. talked about the New World Order in 1990 in a speech. Uh, he was actually talking about peace in the Middle East, but the conspiracy advocates saw that, well, he must be part of the conspiracy then. He must be in on it. So some factors, and I think get a bit into um, maybe more the psychological areas. If people are, are fearful and anxious, perhaps uh, 
less educated, not as high up on the social scale, uh, disenfranchised, you're powerless, there's lo lots of control, or maybe even mentally unstable. The, um, it's not just, the, not just the people themselves that might be powerless, it could even be states. And if countries lose power globally, this, it goes up and down all the time. And some people have studied this. I mean, there's books that you can look at which tra track, is America dominant? Is it the dominant country of the whole world? Some s authors say no. The America's influence was waning as early as 1967. And other countries like China have come up more to the fore. Uh, so there's kind of um, a dread or a fear of what's going to happen. Uh, the communists are going to take over. And so it's been, again, by uh, people who look into this, find that people who feel anxious, their values are threatened, the future of their country is threatened, and they're more likely to uh, turn to a conspiracy theory or some kind of conspiracy uh, thinking. The other part, too, I guess it's not on this slide, but um, when we talk about un unprecedented things, like the attacks of 9-11, Maybe, you know, unexpected, a big surprise to most people who were around. Sometimes you got the feeling that there could be terrorism occurring. But just the idea that 19 hijackers and armed with box cutters could crash four airplanes and bring down the Twin Towers in New York was just too horrible to contemplate. So, again, that was fertile ground for conspiracies. There was a commission... Uh, that looked into it. People disagreed with what they said. They said, well, that must be part of the conspiracy. So in, in some ways, it's like there's other books, too, uh, How America Has Gone Haywire, that uh, Americans seem to have a peculiar susceptibility to falsehoods and illusions. And uh, postmodern thinking and uh, facts are dismissed in favor of uninformed opinions and fanciful beliefs, uh, which you can then argue about the beliefs and ignore, the, um, ignore what the experts uh, will say. So in terms of impact, this, the first one is, is a big one. The people who believe in one theory are more likely to believe in lots of different ones, kind of a, a, a joining up of, uh, of a line of thought. Uh, the mistrust of scientists, and we, uh, I'm you know, concerned about that, as I'm sure many of you are, too. Uh, evidence or even evidence against then reinforces existing beliefs. So it's kind of like a, a network. And the last point, the uh, apathy or extremism, Professor Lee says uh, the people who uh, believe in conspiracies are, are not very active politically. They're not inclined to become uh, active politically. They do lots of talking, but there's no, you know, they say there's not as much point to get involved because mysterious or powerful forces will control what goes on. They control the politics and they control the economics. So there's little reason to vote uh, because it wouldn't make much difference. So in effect, it's kind of like you know, you're shooting yourself in the foot by that line of thinking. So it has to do with kind of the power relationships. At the same time, You've got you know, people who don't believe in science. They don't want to uh, believe some lies, I guess, that uh, vaccinations are poison, and so they don't want to have their children vaccinated. But that actually contributes to the spread of disease, killing and harming very you know, young and innocent children. And we've seen a, a lot of that in the news lately. There's um, 
a story that was in the British uh, Guardian about Dr. Paul Offit. Since the year 2000, has been promoting vaccinations. Um, he works in Philadelphia, but he's received threatening emails, and he's been labeled as a terrorist, and he's had all kinds of death threats. And uh, but he is obviously continuing on with his campaign uh, for the reason to protect children, as a, as a pediatrician should do. This is from the uh, the Guardian again, talking about populist viewpoints, people who are you know keep more keen on populism, patriotism, and that kind of thing. So they're more likely to believe the left. It says as likely as the general population. That's at the left scale. So they're more and more likely that the further to the right the bar is, uh, they're more, way more likely to believe that global warming is a hoax or uh, diseases were put in place by the CIA, vaccinations are harmful, the government was behind 9-11, the secret group of people that rule the world, as I was mentioning, aliens uh, are real and were, are better hidden, and the uh, Holocaust didn't happen or was exaggerated. So just, that was just fairly recent, uh, relating to some of the same, uh, same topics. I think we should, uh, because we're rational, discuss what is not a conspiracy theory. And the first one, of course, is an outright conspiracy. There can be such a thing. And some of them, too, are uh, propaganda and marketing that sugar is great and fat is bad. You know, in a way, it's you know, misstating the, the case, but was that done by public relations, by companies? Uh, that was part of my background, to work in public relations. So I have, you know, not that I was doing anything like that. Another one, too, is that electric cars are not reliable. There's another video, which I've seen here from the library, that the electric cars, the whole idea was killed by a lot of the, the car manufacturers and um, uh, mechanics that um, wanted to... Um, dismantle that, that kind of idea. So there are companies operating in their own self-interest. So we can't really say, well, that's a conspiracy. They might warp and uh, put out advertising or lobbying to, um, to convince people of a certain, uh, certain line of thought. So, so it, it is a possibly confusing. And of course, disinformation, lies and deceptions. Carl was talking about the uh, JFK assassination. And the first thing that came to mind, well, it must have been the Cubans or it could have been the Russians. And you wonder, well, was that something that the CIA or you know, one of the American uh, people put into people's mind just because that was part of the kind of the dominant thinking at the time? They had an enemy. They could point to that enemy and say, well, it must have been the Cubans because we don't like them and you know, everything, you know, they're up to no good. So this, they must have been behind it. So kind of, this is like the disinformation that can kind of get seeded. The last one, pranks. Great fun. You've heard of crop circles. You've seen pictures of the crop circles in uh, Britain predominantly. So that's one that, that uh, lends itself to, it's not a conspiracy because they're not created by aliens, I think. There were uh, two fellows who uh, later on said that they were in a British pub and come up with the idea of making crop circles. So they went out and did it. It was quite simple. And uh, so this you know, became, uh, came out about 25 or 30 years later. Uh, to say, no, I guess there was nothing to the uh, crop circles. They weren't made by UFOs landing. So the propagation, we um, can um, blame or point to uh, various uh, methods or people through history. I've listed just a, a sampling of a few here. Books, pamphlets, news groups started. So this is going back 20, 30 years now. You have news groups, old conspiracy, or alt-right websites. 
It's become really much more simple now. In the old days, if you had some idea, then you'd have to write a book or publish a pamphlet and then stand around in the street corner and try and hand it out to people or try and go on the radio. Now, you just need to start a rumor. You can put it online on whatever uh, platform there is and uh, watch it take off like, uh, like a wildfire. Professor Lewandowski, I mentioned him before, looked into this whole question and he thought, well, it's this, the conspiracy theorists are fairly harmless ex eccentrics. He thought the believers were amusing. Then he started getting very vicious phone calls and death threats because he was looking into the question. So I hope that doesn't happen to me tonight. Um, maybe I'll uh, ask for some uh, as an escort. Then you realize, well, there's, there's nothing funny about these people. Now the believers are turbocharged by social media. Their ideas uh, become political weapons. The right ideologies can spread with uh, astonishing speed, and death threats are like the currency. So we look at ones like the um, Charlottesville, America, the far right. I, mean, I know it's not a conspiracy, but it's just kind of a way of thinking that can really you know, lead to uh, injury and, uh, and people getting killed. This book here, I didn't read, but I just thought it was a funny title. Jonathan Kay is a Canadian journalist, and this is in the library here. Um, the type, the uh, subtitle is small. It says, Among the Truthers, A Journey into the Growing Conspiracist Underground of 9-11 Truthers, Birthers, Armageddonites, Vaccine Hysterics, Hollywood Know-Nothings, and Internet Addicts. So I'm sure he's, he's got a lot of uh, content there. And like I said, if you've got lots of time and you really want to learn more, that might be the book for you. Uh, again, another one, this is this one I took a quick look at. And I, as I said before, I'm not trying to promote any of these guys, just to kind of give you an appreciation of what's out there. Jesse Ventura is, um, I think, a fairly interesting guy. He's still on TV. He's, uh, I know he's got a show on the Russia Today channel. Um, he was in the American Navy in the Vietnam War. He got two medals for his service. He became a professional wrestler. He ran for political office. He became the mayor of a city in America. Then he was governor of Minnesota uh, for four years, uh, ending in 2003. And so this book was from 2010, and he talks about a whole bunch of notable events, uh, such as you know the government is dealing with drugs, or uh, what happened on 9-11, uh, plans to end American democracy. So he's still at it. He's, uh, I guess, got a, a popular following. So his, again, his claim is that uh, things like Watergate and the Iran-Contra affair happened. They have not been investigated, if you believe him. Nobody was charged, and so the conspiracy is still going on. You need to get mad about that. He looks pretty mad in there. Another one that's on, on the same shelf, Fact Fiction and Flying Saucers. It's a pretty small picture here. Danton Friedman, the nuclear physicist, and he's done all kinds of work about talking to Benny and Bernie, Betty, sorry, Betty and Bernie Hill about their get, being kidnapped by a UFO and on all kinds of radio programs. And he uh, resided in Fredericton, New Brunswick, and he just died last month. So that was some of his work. The conspiracy to deny the existence of UFOs is real. So this is in the library. I don't know if we should, you know, have a placard to protest against uh, the library stocking books like that. Now, this is why you came here tonight, to 
uh, talk about uh, refuting a conspiracy. And we'll, um, after the break, maybe talk about this a little bit more based on your kind of ideas. So I was at a music event last week, and this fellow said to me, you know, the NASA, NASA, the astronauts did not land on the moon. That was all faked. And oh, by the way, don't use your telephone because the microwaves from that are going to fry your brain. They don't want you to find out about this, but it's true. Oh, and another thing and another thing. So we went on and on with, uh, with um, ideas. The first point, evidence showing, and this is not for me. This is from uh, some books and uh, comments by, per, by people who look into this. Evidence that shows a conspiracy to be false or the absence of proof of the conspiracy can actually backfire. And there, why would that be? Because believer will say, well, you know, that's just your opinion, or it really must be true because the conspiracy is obviously true. You know, the Cubans did kill JFK, and so you know, your evidence can't be true. The same with vaccinations now. I mean, so the doctors, medical people, and health officials are saying, you know, you, have to, you need to get vaccinated, but there's still, does that have any sway? I don't think it really really changes the balance. Uh, people dig their heels into their, to their beliefs. So the belief system can be very strong, as, as we know by talking to some, uh, well, I don't want to single out uh, religious uh, minorities, but that's um, a tough thing to argue against. Secondly, conspiracy theories can evolve, and sometimes they do, to incorporate evidence that might exist against them. They then become a closed system that's unfalsifiable. Now, we know from rationalist school, can you prove that something is, is not true? You say, you know, something does not happen. I mean, we've, you, know, it, you, know, you can't prove a negative, right? So um, if I say, you know, the Earth is flat or you know, astronauts did not go to the moon, you know, can, you, uh, can I prove that idea? You know, we have to look for it. Is, is it falsifiable? So therefore, the conspiracy is a matter of faith and not proof. So you're, again, you're trying to argue against somebody, the great faith in something. You throw evidence from now until kingdom come, but is that going to have any difference? Now, finally, that if the third one point is actually a bit more positive, a logical inconsistency, if you point something out, that that could make a difference. And a writer that I enjoy reading is Michael Shermer, and he writes in the Scientific American magazine, He's um, had a uh, column a couple of years ago, When Facts Backfire, Why the Worldview, Worldview Threats Can Undermine Evidence. And it's a pretty good article, which I can sum up his conclusion of it briefly. If you want to argue, convince people of the error of their beliefs, number one, keep emotions out of the exchange. So don't let it get emotional and and you know, argue and start screaming. Secondly, discuss with the person, but do, do not attack the person. Don't make ad hominem arguments and don't uh, bring, it, bring in the name of Hitler, preferably. <laughs> or if you do, you know, no, be sure you know what you're doing. Thirdly, listen carefully. Try to articulate the other position accurately. So that you know, shows respect to the other person, even though you may disagree with their beliefs. Show respect, obviously. Acknowledge that you understand why someone might hold that opinion. Okay, so you're sympathizing with the person. Right, then show how changing facts does not necessarily mean changing the worldview. Right, so I can still have this worldview that, you know, I don't know, that uh, the mafia is running the world, but the fact is, you know, we have elections in Canada, and unless you've got good evidence that all the government is uh, run by the mafia, you know, I think we're, 
know, maybe agree to disagree. These strategies may not always work to change people's minds, but it help re- reduce unnecessary divisiveness. And of course, I think it's the big divisiveness that, uh, that we want to guard against. Okay, I'm getting near the end. So I get another one on what can be done. Speaking truth to power. Now, we've heard a lot about that. What does that really mean? Speak truth to power. Various ideas. Uh, and I don't have the answer myself, but that's anything. Like, where, you know, where do the ideas come from? Is this something that you have uh, just gotten from somebody that you've never met off of the internet? Or is this something from your own experience? Um, and who's the powerful force? You know, if you see something, a piece of propaganda, for example, you know, can you tear it apart? Question authority. Now, that's become... I think another byproduct of this whole thing over the last uh, 30 years or so. The next one as well, demanding greater transparency. For example, Roswell get put at the idea that the government was covering something up. So people are now sensitive to a government cover-up, right? So they, you know, something may happen. So I think that puts the onus on politicians now. They need to be quite a bit more forthright. They can't just sort of you know, beat around the bush and make uh, these extravagant claims, but to explain things with facts and figures much better. So it has put them a little bit on the defensive. And in a way, I think that is, is a, a positive thing. Um, the next one, searching for truth. You can debate about things, look at alternative media. And as much as you like Fox News, I mean, there are other, other media sources there. Uh, learning about fallacies and fallacious thinking is good. Uh, the way arguments can be constructed. I mean, invalid arguments like ad hominem or straw man or, or that kind of thing. Looking at evidence, does the theory make rational sense? Or is it just something that looked as if it did? And next, visit and support Snopes.com. That's one site that I look at to debunk some of the ideas that you see. They get passed around. A lot of the memes are just you know too ridiculous to... Um, or, you know, maybe a, a grain of what could be a possibility, but it just seems ridiculous. So look at Snopes and see, is that really true or is it just something that somebody faked a photograph? And, encourage, of course, encouraging the rational mindset. We do everything within our power to um, convince young people, children, to um, think rationally, look at facts, demand proof before putting uh, their belief beliefs uh, up there. Here's uh, just a screenshot of Snopes, www.snopes.com, and just some ideas, very good uh, sites, so lots of stuff, you know, at least uh, 10, 20 new uh, comments, no, comments, new sections every day of ideas that are being passed around, and is there anything to them? One um, other little factoid that I've run into, and I think you'll enjoy this, um, you all know the singer and actress Barbara Streisand? There is idea, and it's called the Streisand effect. This is, is, you can look it up on Wikipedia. It's under Streisand effect. This gets into the question, if you, if somebody has some news or some information or pictures that you don't want output out there, can you suppress them? Or is that, is that going to work, that you can suppress things? I think if you have you know, the best PR agency in the world, maybe. But what's happened in a known as the Streisand effect that people will smell a rat. There's got to be something there. Why do they want to cover this up? Uh, and the reason that, that that was is I think she had a party at her house or a wedding or something like that, and there were helicopter pictures. And so she didn't want anyone to see that because it's invading her privacy, which I think is probably you know any something we can relate to. 
People smelled a rat, they spread, the word got around, the pictures were passed around, and they were published on the internet, and any, t- any me- uh, effort to suppress them uh, just brought more and more attention to it. So it's kind of, if you're trying to suppress something, it'll backfire because people will say, well, they can't do that, you know, everybody needs to see this. Uh, so that's a, a kind of an actual thing that's going on. In conclusion, is this the end or not? Uh, two book covers here, or posters, I guess they are. The one on the left is rather funny. Welcome to the New World Order. We talked a bit before about the New World Order. And so this is somebody's depiction of uh, Don Trump and Mr. Putin and Mr. Uh, Kim Jong-il uh, riding on a bomb, very much like Dr. Strangelove. They're riding on the, uh, the bomb. It's uh, descending over the or flying over the earth. And then this one, it's a little bit hard to see, but those are uh, robots or UFO men or you know, robots or something that... Uh, the New World Order be afraid, be very afraid. So again, like I said, I'm not trying to promote any of this stuff. It's uh, Some of it's laughable. Some of it is serious and it does have impacts. And I think it'd be frustrating to, I don't know, cope with, with someone who puts forth a, what to me, to us is obviously a conspiracy theory and uh, is firmly believed. And then how can we, uh, you know, do we feel encouraged or discouraged about the attempts to have a rational discussion. Thank you very much for your attention. Thank you.